Michael Oshlink here, and welcome you back, Gary Collins. And today we're going to be talking about another new book of his. It is this one, Living Off the Grid, What to Expect While Living the Life of Ultimate Freedom and Tranquility. How you doing, Gary? Great, great. Long as I'm at my off-the-grid house, right? Yeah, you are, which is uh, awesome. For folks who are watching this as opposed to listening, you can look behind Gary and see he actually is in his off-the-grid house. And uh, thanks to Gary, he's actually going to send me some pictures. You can actually see his off-the-grid house when you peruse my site to find this interview. So uh, welcome back. It's, uh, we're excited to have this conversation. And uh, I have to acknowledge we just finished an hour-long conversation, which would be fun to actually <laughs> And we do that every time. We have this long-ass conversation, yeah. and then we actually record the conversation afterwards. Um, but uh, welcome back to O Radio. Appreciate uh, you coming back on. Um, and living off the grid is close to my heart. We had the conversation. That's uh, something that my wife and I are talking about doing in the near future. So, And you will do. I will do in the near future. Right. So let's jump into your book, Living Off the Grid. So you break it down into different uh, sections. Actually, before we actually do that, Talk to me about you and you getting off the grid. Yeah, and I must, I probably should start because most people get confused. They go, wait, he's living off the grid, but he's doing a video, <laughs> video <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I, I've been using a remote Wi-Fi for, since yeah. I got one of the first Verizon jet packs years ago. I, I remember when I went in, the guy had never signed anyone up. I was like his first customer who signed up for one of these things. And the technology's really evolved. It actually has evolved over the last year quite a bit. And when it finally goes 5G, if it doesn't nuke your brain, if you're too close to it, who knows yet? Yeah, it's a little scary. But that's what I use. So that's how I'm able to run my business remotely. I don't have any hardwired internet uh, or anything like that. It's all done with remote technology. So because people, I've gotten a few comments going, yeah, off the grid. He's using the internet. <laughs> it's, yeah, not hardwired in. It's... My definition and the general definition of off-grid is not tied to any public utilities. Well, and actually, you, you make a good point, which you actually talk about in your book as well, that uh, just because you're off the grid doesn't mean you're like stuck somewhere in northern Alaska with no conveniences of, of, you know, of modern life. And you just point out that you do have a convenience of modern life, and that's still possible. One of the chapters, you, and you just mentioned it, um, is that you're not connected to a conventional utility system. And I do want to I do want to tell you your story, but maybe you already kind of kind of tease us with that. That part of living off the grid is kind of you own your own water, power, and sanitation company. Basically, you you are yeah. before that. So, can you weave that into the, your own story of how and why you went off the grid, and that you own your own company now? <laughs> yeah, it's that's a long one, and I, I share it in each book. I, I and it's funny. I have to put in each book because without it would lack context. Yeah. So I, I tell my story the first couple of chapters because if you picked it up, you'd go, who's this guy? What's he talking about? But it was a journey. You know, I'd spent half my life in the federal government and I was, I remember having a, a conversation, not a great one with one of my bosses. And I remember staring out the window going, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is misery. And I'd felt that way for, it, it wasn't new. It had been building for some years. And I was becoming just more disillusioned with what societal expectations that I just didn't feel were fair. I'm all, why do I have to live this way? 
Why do I have to go, we talked about last time, box to box to box. I live in a box. I get in a box to drive to a box. I go from that box to eat at a box. It's all boxes. And the, the irony of that is there are no boxes in nature. <laughs> when you think about it, you look out, I don't see a, a square tree. You know, I don't see a square deer, you know, but our whole life is based upon a box concept. It's a weird thing. And, you know, that trapped in a box comes to mind. Yeah. And so from that, I was putting a plan together and I grew up very rural. I grew up in the mountains. I mean, the town I lived in, maybe I, I want to say it had 50, 60 people in it, maybe a hundred if, if you could find everyone. Um, but that was, then my other town was like 1800 people that I went to school to. So I grew up very remotely, you know, I grew up a quiet life. And, you know, when I was young, I thought it sucked and I went, God, this is boring. Where are the girls? You know, and there were none. And, uh, you know, so you, as a youngster, you don't appreciate it. Now, now as an, a, you know, an older adult, I go, gosh, how fortunate was I? I was super, super lucky to experience a lot of things today that most Americans will never experience or have even a concept of. Right, right. You know, I, me and my friends, we used to sleep in, each, in our backyards. <laughs> We'd sleep in our cars, you know, just stupid stuff. We would drive out in the middle of nowhere maybe have some adult beverages that we may should have not had and maybe slept in our cars here and there. And it was fun, you know, and going hunting and fishing and it just was a blast. So I wanted to kind of get back to that lifestyle because I realized how happy I was growing up in the simplicity and the few things that I owned, how much joy they gave me. So I had this plan and I was brewing it up in the, in behind the scenes and the off the grid concept kind of came to me because I'd, I'd heard of living off the grid, but I really didn't quite understand the whole concept, even though I realized when I was growing up, we were close to living off the grid. We were, we were tied to only public power. That was it. Otherwise, we had our own well. We had our own uh, septic system. We didn't have cable TV. Uh, we did have phone line. It was phone and power was all we had. So I was kind of familiar with some of it. And I just kind of started hatching this plan and I, a, a good friend of mine was killed in a training accident that, you know, we were kind of talking the same things and it was real abrupt. It was in the national news. It was a big deal. And it threw me into a whole different mindset of, I went, you know what, if I don't do this now, I may not be here tomorrow. Who knows? And so it just pushed my plan into quicker action of don't waste a day is basically what it became. It, you know, it's weird how tragic events have to do that to you to kind of light a fire under your butt. And I went, you know, that's what I mean. I went outside literally within, I'd say weeks, I'd put everything together, put my plan out, came out to Washington for two weeks. And I'd spent quite a bit of time in Washington state previous. So I knew I loved the area okay. and I kind of settled in to this part of the country and said, you know, I think this is where I want to live. And that's where it hatched and I spent a couple of weeks out here, traversed the part where I wanted, where I was most interested in, put thousands of miles on a car, rental car, and just made it happen. And, and I actually found my lot. I'd been looking for, at lots for years and I finally found the lot, just bought it, hatched a plan, undeveloped land. There was nothing here and I had to learn from scratch and put all this together. It was a learning experience. I mean, there was no books out there that I was reading that was helping me. There was no one holding my hand. I just had to figure it out. 
And luckily I had some building experience. Uh, I'd remodeled houses. Real estate was a side hustle of mine in the government. So I had my real estate license for eight years. I'd flip some houses, owned apartment complexes. So I, I was fairly handy. You know, I wasn't a complete boob like most of us are today. I had a few skills, not a lot. I had to learn a lot on the fly. And that's basically how I did it. I mean, but it was a larger evolution. I sold my house in 2010, lost a big chunk of money. It was a life decision. Moved more uh, remotely, lived in a one bedroom, would consider a teeny home cottage. Went from there, moved into my travel trailer. I still live in my travel trailer to this day, half the year. Uh, when it gets to winter, I'm out of here. I take off. Um, it's just my property's pretty difficult uh, to get in and out of in the winter. Um, it's snowmobile in, park your car below kind of thing. You know, it sounds like fun to some, but to me, that's just not my thing. Um, but I love it up here. Absolutely love it. So, yeah, that's how this whole plan kind of pieced together. But it, people have to realize, too, this pieced together over a long, I mean, this is a decade plus now from the very beginning of the hatching of the idea to where I'm at today. This, this did not happen overnight. Well, luckily for our viewing or listening audience, your trials and errors. A lot of errors. Uh, learning lessons for them. They don't necessarily have to go through the same trials and errors. They can actually read your book, uh, learn from your mistakes, learn from things that really went well. And you lay it out really nicely where you um, offer things to think about in terms of next steps, first steps, next steps and then various ways of thinking about living off the grid. And let's kind of walk through each one of them. That's sure. okay. <clears throat> and we don't want to go into too great a detail because obviously people need to buy the book and read it. Um, lots but, of <laughs> Lots of them, but lots of, lots of the copies. But, so you talk about like you're living in a house right now, but you also talk about RV as a possibility. Mm -hmm. and I know you actually have a, another book on RV living. What's the title of that book? Uh, it, I have two series. So the off the grid series is kind of its own book series. There's three books in that going off the grid, living off the grid. And then there's a, a living off the grid workbook that I did with mother earth news. Um, then my, the simple life series is another series of basically life simplification outside of living off the grid. So there's health book, you know, my new book, we talked about the decluttering book, decluttering your life. This one's called the simple life guide to RV living. So and it's about my experience about RV living. And the reason I did it that way and talk about it is because a lot of people who will go off grid in the beginning will live in an RV because yeah. it's, it's the cheapest, easiest way to go. I didn't do it because my dummy that I am, I thought I could get my travel trailer up here on another road <laughs> and uh, didn't think it through correctly, came up here as uh, did recon and came back up after I bought the lot and realized I'm not getting that RV up there, not without a bulldozer and taking out a couple of trees and probably taking part of the RV and my travel trailer out. And then once it was up here, I realized I wasn't getting it out. So I went, well, got to rethink that. But I wanted to include it because I, I was, I was living in my RV. You know, I still, like I said, I still do part of the year. And that's an easy transition because RVs have been around for over a hundred years. I mean, people don't realize that RVs were, have been around a long time. It's easy living. It's simple. You can get into one fairly cheaply. They're easy to operate. 
Um, the downside is, if, and people have learned this, I get questions every winter. Hey, my pipes froze. Our water lines are frozen. How do we deal with this? In, in colder weather, I, and I preach this, is you need an all-season RV. They're built for more extreme weather. Your average RV travel trailer fifth wheel is built primarily for camping. Okay. You know, so you have to get an all season, which is an upgrade, dual pane windows, thicker insulation, sturdier frame, sturdier suspension. They're just built a little more heavy duty. So what you do, most people do is they get their RV, they get it up there. You've got to get your infrastructure. You're going to be dry camping. You won't have water. You won't have septic. It makes it a little tough. I always recommend get your infrastructure in first, okay. then bring the RV up. And, but the great part is, you know, I had two small RV parks by me. Oh, I just stayed at the RV parks by me. It, so it made it easy. There's RV parks all over the place if you, you know how to look for them. But yeah, and th but then you got to build a structure. Most people build a structure, basically a pole, the starting of a pole barn. So a structure with a roof overhang. So that way you can put your RV in it because they're not built to heavy, carry heavy snow loads on the roof. Okay. So if you're, you know, you'll be shoveling snow quite a bit off your roof to make sure it doesn't collapse. So, you know, you have to think things through a little bit, but yeah, that's what a lot of people do. Talk, talk a little bit more about the infrastructure besides the actual physical encasing. So you're protected from the, the weather, specifically the snow, but what other things would someone have to think about uh, as the infrastructure in which you connect to an RV on private land? Yeah, well, and it works all in part of building your house if you're going to build a house. I know people who live off-grid who have never built a house. They just live in their RV. And once they want a new one, they upgrade to a bigger RV. Because uh, anyone who's seen some of the new RVs, I'll start with some of the new fifth wheels, they're nicer than million-dollar homes. I mean, they're ridiculous inside. They're super, super nice. Um, the infrastructure, basically, what I'm talking about is your septic, your well water, and then you're going to have to put in your power system. So solar, wind, uh, you know, uh, hydro, if you have a stream, run, you know, running stream through your property. Um, you know, propane, maybe get your propane tanks put in or use a mobile pro propane tank system. That's what I'm talking about. So it's, you want, and by code, if you're going to build by code, which you know in my book, I highly recommend, because if you don't build by code, you don't pull permits, you just buy a piece of land and throw something up on there, it's worthless. Because hmm. you're going to have a very difficult time selling it. You know, my house, all, house is all done to code. When I finally get the deck done, I'll have an owner occupancy certificate, which means I can get an equity line on it. I won't, but I could if I wanted to. And when I go to resell, I'll have that certificate. And hopefully down the line, right now, there's no loans for off-grid properties, but at least I have the opportunity down the road that someone might be able to finance this. Do, do so, that will change as more and more people are kind of either doing off the grid, RV living, tiny house living, that uh, the codes and the banks regulations will, will shift in our direction? I do know of a couple that have gotten financing that I've heard about. Both were viable businesses, though, than their ranches. So they were building a ranch, you know, livestock. It was built around a business, but it was off grid. Okay. Those were financed. I know of those. One was in Montana, and I believe the other one was in Wyoming. Okay. So it does exist. It's just, I looked high and low when I first started. And I'm very glad I did not do that 
that I did not finance this. And I'm actually writing the financial freedom book we were talking about before this, where I have a huge chapter on mortgages and, and financing homes. And people will be shocked that the average home in America, you lose money on. Even though you think you gain, when you break the numbers out, you every American loses money on their home. That's false information. I had to actually do the math on this years ago to figure this out. And I went, everyone tells me the home, American home is the dream. And I broke the numbers on it. I went, the numbers don't add up. I went, it's not adding up. And I'll have a whole chapter of a lot of math. Yeah. <laughs> on well, that. When that book comes out, we'll have you back on because I want to kind of do a deep dive into that one because there's a lot of myths, which you do bust in all your books. And that's a, an important one I think we need to pay attention to. Well, yeah. And I, I consider myself, you know, halfway financial savvy. And even I, you know, I, I did things very wrong. And it's because I wasn't. I wasn't thinking for myself all the time. I was letting the system think for me, which is a huge problem we were talking about. So by doing it this way, what I did is I built parts. So I did part of my infrastructure. My well was my most expensive piece. So the first year and without water, I, I make a joke, you're dry camping. You have a very expensive camping spot if you don't have water. You know, so you're gonna have to hand haul water and some people do. But if you live in the mountains, hauling water is a pain in the butt. And again, you're only going to be able to do it part of the year because the roads are mucked out. You have snow. So it makes your life a lot more complicated. And as you know, being the simple life guy, I'm into making things simpler, not more complicated. Keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. So you want to drill your well and that way get your budget. You get all your infrastructure done first, then you build your house. That right. makes the most sense. And that's what I did. And that's by code. If you do it through the county and you go and get your building permit that's the structure they will make you do because okay, they don't want someone just flopping a house up and then you have no septic system. Now, where, where's your sanitation going? Are you dumping it? That's why there's these rules in place. And yeah, don't get me wrong. It's bureaucracies and, you know, someone has their hand out. But they're also there for a reason as well. It's not all bad. Right. So... Well, your own water, power, you said propane is a possibility, wind is a mm -hmm. possibility, solar is a possibility, and then obviously sanitation. Get rid of your crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm not a, you know, some people use composting toilets and they don't set up any septic. I looked into composting toilets and I wrote about it in my book, Going Off the Grid. Those things are super expensive. They look like a, you're on, you know, on a throne. I mean, it's funny that, you know, the funny statement is I'm on the throne. These, these ones are like the size of a throne. They're huge. And you have to piss in a little bucket on the side, little container that, and you got to, I went, no, 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 I'm not, I don't want to do this. And they're, they're, it was just about the same price for me to put in a normal gravity fed septic system as it was going to be to buy two of those toilets. So I went, you know, why would I even go that route? And some people do that, you know, they use a bucket and sawdust and they have an outhouse and, and that's, you gotta check too. Outhouses are actually illegal in a lot of places. You just can't throw up and, oh yeah. Wow. You know, sanitation laws, you gotta pay attention. Um, not to say that people don't do it, but how would you feel if I'm at the top of the mountain and you live below me how would you feel to know that I have no sanitation system and when water runs over or overflowing and well, where's shit go downstream? 
You yeah. know what I mean? You have to think of it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a reason why the Romans and why we've found th- sanitation, high-level high sanitation systems that are thousands of years old. There's a good reason for that. <laughs> yeah, so you have to be a good neighbor too. You know, you just don't want to be squatting out in your backyard and your neighbor's looking up going, oh, oh boy, can't wait for the next rain. I know what I'm getting. That's so, correct. you know, yeah. And not only that, but gravity-fed sanitation has been around a long time. Yeah. Right, so we, we have, uh, you're running your own corporation of, of sorts, Water Power Sanitation. Yep. Talked about RVs. One of the other things you talk about is tiny houses. It's uh, yeah. something my wife and I talk about. Love those shows, watching them. But you, you, you're a little critical of them. Talk a little about the tiny houses and your thoughts around them. And I have two sides to that. I'm not against tiny homes. And there's two different definitions. So a tiny home can either be what we're we're more familiar with, which is one on a moving chassis, basically you know wheels, and you build it on this this rolling chassis, moving chassis. You build a home on it. The other definition is a house 500 square, permanent structure 500 square feet or smaller. Okay, teeny home, basic. Well, a 500 square foot house is no different than a normal house. They call it a teeny home. It's a small house. That's all it is. It still has the same stuff. But on the teeny home mover, the rolling chassis, that's a different animal. So you buy this chassis or you buy, there's a bunch of companies that do them right now. When you bust out the math, and a lot of millennials are learning this the hard way, it is a poor, poor investment. You're, you're going to spend four or $500 a square foot, which is the cost of a mansion somewhere else. That's the cost per square foot you will pay in a high, high, high-end custom home. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So the markup is ridiculous. It's seven, eight times what it costs the builder. These guys are smart, you know? So another problem is they're very heavy, top heavy. They're very difficult to move. You have to get them, if you're going to put them on the road, they have to be registered and, and have to be inspected and okayed by the motor vehicle division. Okay. You're going to pay higher insurance on them because they're dangerous. And not only that, I have yet to find an RV park that will take a teeny home. Wow. And I've traveled quite extensively. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. not getting one of those bad boys in an RV park. They're not going to allow it. So your recommendation then would be either get an RV or, buy, or build a tiny home yeah. on the property itself. Well, or, or if you're going to go the tiny home rolling chassis side, do it yourself. Create it as a project because it will cost you far less. Okay. And it's going to teach you the skills you're going to need to build the home if you plan to do a lot of the building on your own. So why not cut your teeth on a smaller, simpler project? Then by the time you go to build your home and you take it up to your property, you'll have a little guest house. That makes sense to me. But paying, you can spend a hundred grand on one of these rolling chassis teeny homes. That's not out of the ballpark. You will probably be able to sell it for 20 grand when you go to sell it. I mean, that's what I mean to your, your kind of, you're throwing good money at bad money, I believe, in buying one of them pre-built on the expensive end. There are some builders who I found where they're reasonable, you know, 30, 40 grand. Okay, that makes sense to me. But a lot of them are on the high end. And what are you going to do with it if you change your mind? And that's why I'm saying some of the millennials who are buying into this because it's cheaper than a house have found, because I've talked to them, they go, yeah, we went to sell this thing. We can't sell it. 
and we, you know, we spent a hundred grand on this thing and, you know, we're getting offers of 20, 30 grand. Oh, so now you just lost 70, $80,000. Yeah. Not good. So that's what I mean. You just think it through. And, you know, I think just my experience of having built home, had, this is my third home that I've had built from scratch. So I have a little more experience and I understand the numbers a little bit better in the construction industry, how it works. Not to say I'm a construction expert by any sense. But when I saw the trend, I went, ooh, this doesn't make sense. I went, I crunched the numbers. I went, ooh, no. RV, easy to sell. And you can buy a good used travel trailer for $10,000. Wow. Yeah. And actually, that's a, that's a, that's a new segue to another section of your book. Right there. Yep. Um, the right vehicle. Yes. Actually pull your, your, your home. <laughs> yeah. I learned this one the hard way. Yeah. And you told that story. Talk, talk to me like, what, what do we need to be thinking about as we go buy a vehicle to pull our home? Yeah. And that's part of the mobile lifestyle. And, and a good example of that is trying to tow one of these teeny homes. One of those teeny homes, most of them weigh over 10,000 pounds. So you are not towing that thing with your, your Subaru Outback. You can try. It's dangerous and you may kill yourself and kill your car in the process, but that's not the proper towing vehicle. And I had to learn. I, I started off with a Toyota Tacoma. I was living in the city. I was living in Southern California at the time. And that was the appropriate vehicle for where I was living and what I did. But towing a trailer, it was not. It worked. But I had a smaller trailer at the time. And I realized even my utility trailer, towing that thing fully loaded, that truck was just dying. It didn't have the power, so I went and bought a half ton after that. That worked okay, but I was beating it up. It just wasn't heavy duty enough for my property. I'm in to get to my property. I'm in four wheel drive every single day. Okay. So over half the year, my truck's in four wheel drive. So I eventually ended up buying a one ton diesel uh, Dodge Ram, and you know, heavy duty. I've gotten some comments. Oh, he bought a monster truck. He doesn't need that. He's killing the environment. This and that. Check with reality. If you're going to live this lifestyle, you need the proper tools. And that truck for me was the proper tool. And most diesels today are clean diesels. They are, they run very clean. You know, uh, trust me, I, I love the environment too. I live in nature. I do not want to dirty it up. You know, that's not my goal at all. So, it was the right vehicle for me and I don't regret it at all. But if you're going to tow a trailer, I highly recommend, unless it's a, a ultralight, which is a lighter trailer, then you can use a half ton truck and you'll, you'll be fine. Anything above that, I would recommend a three quarter ton to one ton. And, and I had a guy kind of throw this at me like, that's not what you need. I've been around hundreds, if not thousands of RV people and nomadic living people. I 90 plus percent of them are using a one ton or three quarter, quarter ton vehicle. Okay. It's not, I'm not out of the norm on this one. It is the typical because it's the safest, most economical, and it works the best. You gotta, I know the environmental thing. I get it. I truly get it, but I can't tow it with the Prius. Yeah. I can't do it. I would love to. I wish a Prius would tow my travel. It won't. So, yeah. It, yeah. I have to imagine also uh, the larger cars or the larger trucks that you're recommending uh, are heading in, in a better direction in terms of their effects on the environment. 
Oh yeah. Well, and they get better gas mileage. Like my half ton was a gas truck. This is a diesel. I get far better gas mileage with my diesel than I did with my gas version of it, of the half ton. So economically, as far as gas, it it works a lot better. I get better gas mileage, have a a lot more power. But not only that, but I carried every piece of material hand carried to my property. There's no deliveries in four-wheel drive in the mountains. You're not going to find except for helicopter. And I can't afford, I couldn't afford (laughs) helicopters bringing my materials up. Um, And you'll see that's why in Alaska, uh, they spend most of their money trying to get the materials up there because a lot of it's helicopters is how they have to get their materials up there. So yeah, it's just kind of figuring out what the right vehicle is for you. And it depends on the size of your RV. And that would be a fifth wheel and travel trailer. Obviously, if you have a class A, B, or C, that's a motorized RV. That's already self-contained. So you don't have to tow that. So that's another option. Say you don't want to tow, have a tow truck, a vehicle that will tow that. Well, then you get a class A, B, or C. And you, but even them, they tow a car behind them because they don't want to drive their RV everywhere they go. So they have a car behind them. So it just depends what your, what your needs are. Right. Um, you just mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, you've been around hundreds, if not thousands of folks kind of in this space. Um, you have a section in your book that talks about uh, kind of who is living off the grid, mm-hmm. not what most people would expect. Who is living off the grid? Yeah, believe it or not, it's married people with families um, or at least just married people. I am an anomaly and that's all I had to talk about because a lot of excuses I get is I can't do what Gary did. He's single. I can't do that. Again, it's that I can't never start something with I can't, especially around me. Um, Yeah, it's not going to resonate very well. Majority of people and a lot of people are homeschooling two, three kids. They have pets. It's families. The families are the majority of people living this lifestyle. It's not single people. So get that out of your head. If you want it, you can get it. And it just, it takes work, sacrifice. And to be honest with you, the families I've met who live this lifestyle, they love it. And, you know, their kids are having a blast, absolute blast. I'm sure they hated it in the beginning, you know, especially if you don't have cell phone reception, what's a kid do without their smartphone today, right? Actually, maybe their neck won't be like this for the rest of their life. But, uh, and they may have to actually look someone in the eye for a conversation. Imagine that. Yeah. Well, a funny side story on that. I was at a college campus recently, uh, I, I, a medical center. I've, I'm not a beacon of health like people think. I've had many surgeries. And uh, life's been rough on the body. And I was there and I was walking. It's a couple mile walk to get to the, the facility on this campus. So I walk. I always walk to it. I had a, only one or two people look me in the eye the entire way. Sure. Yep. Everyone, even people who did not have their devices out, these kids, they did not look up. When they walked, their head was straight down. They would not look up. They, I said hi to a couple people and nothing. Scary. You know, it's scary. Um, I just uh, did an interview with uh, uh, Chris and Holly Santillo on a book they have on resilient parenting, resilience parenting. And we actually talked a little about that as a major cultural problem that kids don't, aren't developing the interpersonal skills 
they don't look you in the eye because they're busy texting their friends. Uh, it's, it's, it's a problem we're going to have to address one way or another, either fix it early on or deal with the consequences of it, unfortunately. Well, there's another piece to that that we have lost, and that is how we have traditionally learned, which is the elders passing on their experience and life experiences to the up younger and upcoming generations. We've really missed that. I, I blame, hey, my generation's a big part of it. I'm a, I'm a um, Gen Xer myself. And what we've failed to do is we, we don't have any skills to pass on is the problem. We're lacking the things. I mean, just 100 years ago, everyone was 80% of the American population was a farmer and a, a mechanic. Because even if you did not, you were working in an industrialized portion of society, you still fed your family and people raised crops and had animals. My grandparents are from 100 years ago. My grandfather and grandmother would tell me their stories. They grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. And they said, oh, everyone had a, had a little ranch. Everyone had a little piece of land, unless you were, you know, in a, in a metropolitan downtown living area, which the majority of Americans were not doing at that stage. It was migrating towards that, but it wasn't there quite yet. So we don't, we're, we don't have real tangible life skills anymore to pass on. Then you throw in the, we have an inability to communicate with each other, it seems like. Well, now we can't even pass that on because we have an inability to communicate with our children. We don't even know how to communicate with our children. So it's a problem. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I, I wish I did. I know that off the grid living, because you mentioned the majority of people are doing it, our families uh, provide the opportunities for a few different things. Uh, one is self-reliance as a family, because you're pretty much responsible for a lot of things that we now in the cities, outsource other people. Yeah. Uh, and off the grid, you know, although you can have modern conveniences and you, and you do, um, you also have the opportunity, more opportunities for actually connections with people in your life. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And, and you're, you are, I am my, I, I run everything. I mean, if something breaks, there's no phone call to the plumber going, Hey, can you get up here and fix this? I have to figure it out. Um, obviously if something major goes wrong and I did, I, I did have contractors, like I didn't put in my own septic system and a lot of it was due to time and also it had to be approved, you know, so to pull the permits and do all this stuff, it would have been a lot more work on my end and it wouldn't have saved me any money or time in the, in the big run. So I did all the stuff that I knew I could do that would save me money and time. Those are the projects I picked, you know, I, I can't drill well. You know, there's, that's why they have these $500,000 million dollar drilling rigs. Yeah, that drill them for you. I don't have that. You know, but yeah, it's, you know, like we were talking about me hauling, hand carrying the cement yeah. and water to put in a new gate that's a mile away from where my house is. Well, I can't call anyone. No one's going to haul it for me. You know, I sat there and stared at this stuff and I went, I got to create a system so I don't kill myself today getting this out there because once I started putting the pole in and started mixing the cement, I couldn't stop. So I had to basically get the pole, the pole set at one go. I had to get it all done in one day, a part of a day because I started at 3.45 in the afternoon. So near the end, I was hustling. I was moving to try and get it. 
for our listening audience and viewing audience, that's why Gary is not standing up in this. Uh, oh, my legs are killing. <laughs> legs are toast. <laughs> oh, and because in the upper part of my property is all uphill. So uh, probably an eighth of a mile I have to hike uphill to get to flat ground. So each seven bags of concrete, each bag, and one I was holding the pole one time, had the bag of concrete in my, my hunting backpack and it was rough. I mean, but again, I had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. No one was going to do that for me. And that's part of it. And I created a system and in the end it got done. And all I spent on it, you know, besides the materials was physical labor. I have to imagine that there's, um, there's a scale for folks living off the grid and you're kind of in the middle, meaning yeah. that, you know, you still utilized uh, other people's services for certain things that you were, you felt yourself unqualified for like sanitation, like creating the, you know, the septic tank. Um, and yet you still do a lot of things for yourself. I have to imagine there's other people on the extreme who, you know, I, I see those shows where yeah. they do everything for themselves somewhere in Northern Alaska. But I also have to imagine too, that some people can choose to live off the grid and yet still have people do almost everything for them in terms of the construction of their, of their house or oh, yeah. fire. There, are, and there are people who just have their whole house built off the grid. They hire a contractor. The contractor comes out and just builds the entire thing. Yeah. And that's what it is. And I tried to explain that very clearly in the, in the book series is that, Hey, this isn't my adventure. This is your adventure. I can only give you the pieces of the things I did in my recommendations through my research, but everyone who lives off grid does it differently. That is one thing I have found out. No one does it exactly the same because you have different needs, wants, different properties, different topography, different locations in the United States. There's a whole host of factors that go into it. And, and with that though, no one does this and gets away unscathed. You will learn a lot of new skills. We all do. We all laugh. When you get a bunch of people who live remotely off grid and we start laughing at our stories, a lot of us make the same mistakes, you know, and it's just the way it is. It's, but in the end, I mean, I, I, I don't regret one thing. I mean, it came out. I love the way I live now. And I do. I live in the middle. I live, I, I go into town three, four times a week. I have communication with people. I run my business but I also have the quiet and solitude to where I can write my books. Well, you know, and I have my phone. It works up here. I actually have very good cell reception. That was one thing. And I talk about that in the book too, is one of my requirements was I had to have cellular reception because I needed to run my business still. Um, some people say, I don't need that to run my business. They create a business around items that they can sell either at, you know, farmer's markets at you know swap meets and they set it up that way there's so many ways to do it that's awesome yeah so two questions for you where can folks purchase your book and learn more about your work is one they, they can go to my website thesimplelifenow.com and it's my books are sold all of them are sold on amazon um they're sold worldwide so yeah you, you if you want it you can find it and second question. So let's say someone's like, oh, I, this is something I'm really interested in exploring. I want to hire Gary as a consultant to talk me through the whole process. How might they get hold of you to do that? I do. You have to fill out my form on uh, my website and you just go in there in the contact and you give me your information and say, hey, I'm interested in how much ever. I, I do it by hourly only. I don't do partial hours and I do consulting by the hour. 
you just tell me, and I do business consulting, I do health consulting, I do off the grid consulting, life simply, you know, I do quite a bit of different topics. But yeah, so you hit me up, you let me know, and we just schedule a time and we go through it. We go through your project and I, I tell you, you know, what I think. I even had, I've had people ask me just how to find the land, how to start where I think. And here's another thing you need to realize too, though. I can't do the project for you. I've had people go, well, just give me the A to Z. Tell me what type of house I need to build. What the, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I can't, I can't. That's another thing is when you live this lifestyle, that's part of the self-reliance. Yeah. And it's not people's fault. I, I was similar. I had this mindset too. I, I just wanted someone to do it for me. Right? Yeah. And you can't. This lifestyle, you can't. You're not going to find someone who understands your wants and needs and is going to build it and put it all together for you perfectly. You're going to have to figure that out. Well, let me encourage folks to check out all your books, but especially the one we just talked about today, Living Off the Grid. Uh, do check out his website and uh, learn all about his work. As he mentioned, decluttering, health, living off the grid, some books on RV living, uh, treasure trove of uh, knowledge and wisdom. Uh, Gary, thanks for coming back on and uh, have to have you back on again uh, when your new, new book comes out, hopefully in the very near future uh, that you kind of teased us about earlier. No, it will be done. It will probably be out mid-July. The, the editing deadline's already, everything's set. It's in motion. So this book will be done probably if all goes to the way it should, mid-July. Well, we'll have you back on the summer of 2019. Thanks, thanks for coming this time, Gary. Good to see you, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me on, Michael.